Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I am here with Father Chuck. How are you, my friend? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Had a, uh, we're on the tail end of, um, of um, today's All Souls Day as we're recording this. I just had All Souls Mass this evening and um how did that go it went very well we commemorated the dead we lit candles and and all that and um and then i'm right now um you may hear me exclaim during this podcast but i'm uh keeping an eye to the score for game seven of the world series um against the 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 cubs versus um, the indians and i'm pretty excited because i mean i'm not exactly a cubs fan um But, you know, it's anyone who's watched any kind of who's followed baseball, even even from afar, knows that the Cubs have been over 100 years since they've won a World Series. And so this is it. If they win tonight, they win the World Series and that it could be history being made right in front of us tonight. So that is exciting. All I can say is I wish I could go back to the beginning of the season, put some money on the Cubbies. All right, Biff. (laughs) I think it was Biff. I think it was just some dude. Oh, it was, yeah, it was a guy yeah. asking for the donation. This guy asking that's, for the donation. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, that is exciting. Uh, a lot of a lot of history is going to be made within a matter of the next few days. That is true. One being the World Series. Uh, the other being um, Doctor Strange hitting theaters. That's that counts, right? right? I think that counts. counts. <laughs> no, I mean, and, let's be honest for a moment. Can you think of a single comic book nerd? Since the Silver Age of comics, who would have ever thought that there would be a major motion picture adaptation of Doctor Strange? Uh, I, I can't. I can't imagine at all. Not at all. I mean, even though there there was one made in the seventies, I don't. But I don't think it. I think it was a TV movie made in the seventies and never aired. Right. But other than that, no, no, a major motion picture, no. Disney. That Disney would be making a Doctor Strange. <laughs> Film. It would be starting starring Tilda Swinton, right? Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah, and uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Mads isn't Mads Mikkelsen in it too? Mads Mikkelsen, the Mads Madster, yeah. yeah. Just I mean, like some I don't know about if that's necessarily A list Hollywood, but definitely some uh, highly A list if you ask me. What Tilda's like pedigree? You know, like she's she's up there. Tilda well, Swinton. I mean, yeah, I guess. I, I don't know exactly what – I guess we have to define what we mean by A-list. I'm thinking like – It's different I mean, these days. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking in terms of talent, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean these are some of the, like – I mean some of the some of the really – some of the best actors within the indie film world mm-hmm. um, doing some of the best screen work. And they're in Doctor Strange. It's Actually, no, I think every single one of them, all three of them have been nominated for an Oscar. Insane. <laughs> they're insane. Strange movie. <laughs> and what's interesting about it, it's directed by uh, a filmmaker named Scott Derrickson. And uh, he actually has a background in, uh, in the uh, evangelical church. I think he actually might be the first evangelical to, to break into Hollywood. But I don't know if he's evangelical anymore. Uh, he, he directed uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he also did um, the remake of The Earth, The Day the Earth is Still, the Keanu Reeves. Which was yeah, okay. It was right. I haven't seen either of those movies, but uh, he has interesting career path. I was never that impressed, but when he first started out, his first movie was a Hellraiser movie. Actually, 
and as, uh, as evangelicals are want to make. Yeah, I know. And what's funny about it is it's considered to be the most interesting of the Hellraiser movies because it has like a really interesting plot twist. Like the guy, the main character, turns out that he's actually evil and he's in hell. And like this whole horror movie has just been like he's in hell the whole time. And it's interesting to hear Hellraiser, like like Pinhead, like actually say something kind of like like you would hear like a pastor say a youth group. <laughs> interesting. He's the moral one in the story, which is interesting. Uh, but yeah, interesting guy. He's uh, he's gone places. Gone places. I would, so. I would say he's he's gone places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting career. Uh, but aside from that, Doctor Strange, uh, notwithstanding, there's also uh, an election coming up. Oh, is there? <laughs> yeah. Who's that? Is that that's a uh, is that that's that's um uh, who's involved in that that uh... that's, that that would be Jose Canseco and um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so we have an election coming up. We don't talk very much about politics on this podcast, at least U.S. government politics, uh, because I, I would say we have a very diverse audience, different, perhaps different beliefs, different political leanings. And even Louis C.K. was on, on Conan last night, and he told everyone that he was voting for Hillary, but he was like, I, I don't want to say that because I know I'm going to like split my audience in half. <laughs> right. So, like, if you can imagine us a small little podcast, you know. Um, but we're going to talk about it from a different pr- perspective, more about, like, being active in politics, right? Is that what you had in mind, Chuck? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, it would be, uh, it would be a, a neat opportunity to talk about politics and try to talk about it in a nonpartisan way. Okay. As people are preparing to vote. I mean, sure, by this, at this point, I would hope that everyone listening has figured out who they're voting for. You know, not even taking into account our leanings, we all believe that you should be voting. Yeah. It might be the most important thing you do as an American. Yeah, which honestly, in this, I guess we can talk about in, in the episode as we get into it, I mean, is, is kind of a new idea for me. Oh, yeah? Um, I, I would even say it's it's sort of new for me as well. There was, I think there was a period of disillusionment for me where I was like, uh, I shouldn't be a part of the system. But then I realized, oh, my God, the system needs me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, I want to start off by asking you, Chuck. Well, um, actually, hold on time. We can um, edit this. But I, I realize we, 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 have igno- we have not acknowledged. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Oh, by the way, you'll notice that Matt is very quiet this episode. It's because he's not here. <laughs> we, we are, he, is, we are... he has left the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he's walked. That's why we're talking about politics. I'm just kidding. Um, Matt is not with us tonight. Uh, he has some other things he has to tend to. Some... Um, uh, 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 higher callings that he has to <laughs> that he has to answer. He's doing all right. He's doing fine. He's just not with us today. Probably back next week. Um, but yeah, it's just me and Chuck, and we're here. We're going to talk about politics. It should be fun. I actually think this is the first time it's just been you and me for the podcast. It has. It is. This is the first time it's just been you and me, Chuck. Uh, it so, should be an interesting uh, experience for everybody involved. The, the listeners will get to hear what it's like to for us to just be us and like and weird uh expect a lot of tangents i would assume but yeah like this one <laughs> yeah, like this one we've already ditched our topic uh christians and politics do you think uh it's possible to have different political beliefs and still have like the same religious beliefs no i totally do i think um I mean, this is this is a uh, to some degree a, a complicated question, 
extremely. Um, yeah, I think that I think it's a problem. I'll just put it this way: I think it's a problem that we associate Christians with a particular political party. I can agree with that. I think there's a lot of feelings I have on that, but I feel like as Christians, our convictions as Christians should be leading us to vote certain ways. And I think that as we discern those things, that's going to take us, particularly in our current political situation, it's going to take us in a lot of different directions. You know, there's, there's, um, there are folks who obviously feel, you know, very strongly about, um, abortion and contraception. Right. And that's going to lead them to vote a certain way. Um, which is usually a, the, the deal breaker. Right. Um, but on the other side of this, you have, you know, in the Bible, some very clear teachings on economics and, and, and the feelings of, of caring for the poor and finances. And that has led Christians to vote a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of actually a crisis in the evangelical world right now, where a lot of young millennial Christians are sort of, you know, they're, 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 they're pro-life, but they don't want that to be the only issue that defines how they vote. And so there are a lot of young evangelicals that are starting to vote um, a little more on the left, and that's creating a whole crisis in the evangelical world. I mean, we're, we're seeing that right now with, um, with some of the fall, some of the reactions to, 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 to Donald Trump, where yeah, there's a I mean, generational di- divide between that candidate. Um, and, I, and so anyway, you're, you're, yeah, what are you wanting us? I think we could say objectively without any kind of bias that Donald Trump is like a wrench in the laundry machine, right? I mean, yeah, I think so. Because me personally, I, I, I see behavior and the way he acts, things that are revealed that would get someone kicked out of church. <laughs> like I've seen people get kicked out of church for less. Yeah. And and this is and this is where I think it's going to get challenging for you and I to talk about this in a nonpartisan way, because I think right. our listeners have probably discerned sort of where we are <laughs> on, yeah. on this a little bit. But I the, yeah, the, and that's I mean, the thing about Trump is that really gets me in in all of this is how evangelical leaders who have condemned people for doing far more benign behaviors mm-hmm. how they've condemned these people hammered these people held them uh, you know pointed to them as evidence of all that is wrong in society and then you have Donald Trump, who, you know, I, I, Trump supporters, I know if you're listening and you're, you know, the, the first reaction you're going to have to the statements of, of, of all the women who have come forward and everything, that it's all allegations. And that's true. None of it has been proven. I'll, I'll, get, I'll give you that. But some of his other statements and some of his other, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the famous recording from Access Hollywood from 2005 that's come out. Yeah. Um, what, what gets me about it is, like... If you want to vote for the guy, that's fine, um, I suppose. If if and if you want to condemn, or and what gets me is the lack of condemnation of his behavior. I guess it's yeah. like I can understand it if they if if there were if if they would just be if there would be people who would just be very like upfront and say, this guy has said some really messed up stuff, mm-hmm. but we think that the policies he supports are the things that we're behind. And they're not saying that. Instead, they're saying, well, this was 10 years ago. Or this was, it's almost like they've got to fit him into some form of, it's like they want to believe that this is someone who was ordained by God to right. be their candidate. Which I've heard people say. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
so they have to try to fix fit that into into this worldview that somehow how can how could God have chosen this person? And so there's this whole like there's a lot of just acrobatics that have to go on with that. And that's the thing that really amazes me in this because it you know, I would like to I think a more healthy thing as Christians, and especially Christians in America, would be for us to just acknowledge the fact that there that maybe as a Christian to say that these are the policies and ideas that I think we ought to be supporting. Right. Though this human being who supports them is a flawed person, we still think that they should be president. But at the same time, we are also going to, if if they become president, we're going to hold them accountable to be better people, to be a better person. Like, I would be really okay with hearing that, but that's not what we hear. Right. Because that's the honest to God truth for, for me to get kind of back to the initial question about Christians in voting. It's that as Christians, whoever your president is, it is your obligation to try to hold them accountable as a citizen for the promises they make and for the policies that you want to see. Because even if you didn't vote for them, they're still your president. And so you can advocate still for them to support policies and ideas that you think they ought to be supporting. And you should be, as a Christian, holding the, if they're going to call themselves a Christian, you need to be holding them accountable for their words, actions, and behaviors, even after the fact. So you can acknowledge the fact that this is not a perfect person, but nobody wants to say that. There seems to be this really quick reaction to say like, oh, well, he's repented. He's repented of his actions and whatever, or he's, you know, it's, it, there's just this kind of hand-waving dismissal stuff about it rather than kind of, you know, but it, but it puts, it puts these, these men who've been in support of him in a very weird place, not a weird place, just yeah. a very unfortunate place where they're now kind of having to face they, the fact that they have said really awful things about people who've done less. Right maybe some dissonance involved. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, and I said, I'm, I'm, as you can tell that I'm being very careful with my words. (laughs) You know what? What's funny is that no matter how careful you are, Chuck, we're, everyone's right now waiting for you to say something bad about Hillary. Yeah. (laughs) Is, is, is that, would that make us less partisan if, if now we said some, critiques on hillary well here's what i don't really want to no but. because here's the thing that gets me about that is like it's like this sort of checklist thing that if you say something good about someone you have to say good about the other person say something bad about someone you have to say something bad about the other person like our founding fathers didn't found our country on those principles they're not it's not you they screamed at each other yeah we don't have to find these equivalences like that's a it's a, it's a thing right like you don't have to you know it's that's a silly thing for me to do but i will say this I do appreciate, and this is, and it could just very well be to the fact of of the people that I follow in social media and the things they say. But the but the the younger Christians that I've seen on social media, who are clearly in support of Hillary, mm-hmm. seem to be more willing to talk about her in the way that I'm saying that I would like to see older evangelical leaders talk about Trump. That there are a lot of people who are willing to say she's not perfect, she's mm-hmm. clearly made mistakes, she's clearly not doing you know, everything we would like for her to do, but we still think that the ideas and policies that she supports are closer to what we want to throw our hat behind. Right. And so, and this is not an endorsement of Hillary Clinton nor a rejection of Donald Trump, but this is, to me, it's much more of a conversation around the people who surround these two candidates 
yeah, and we're just being analytical. Yeah, and like I said, I'm not talking about the candidates themselves. I'm talking more about the people that are affiliated, that sort of have associated themselves with these candidates. Right. And I will say, so I, I appreciate, that's something I do appreciate about the evangelicals who have been in support of Hillary Clinton that I've seen, is I, I haven't seen nearly as many who act like she's like God's gift to America. Right. I've definitely I, seen some who have. I won't deny yeah. that. I mean, there are plenty of, I mean, I'm an Episcopalian, and one of the jokes is that is that the Episcopal Church is sort of filled with, not filled, but there's a lot of people in the Episcopal Church who left evangelical Baptist far-right churches, you know, basically the Republican Party at prayer, so that they could come over here and be the Democratic Party at prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we see that a lot um, in, in my in my circle. So there are definitely people who who who, who do this wrongly, uh, equally on both sides. Wait, um, are you telling me you're not the liberal church, Chuck? I mean, that... <laughs> we're a pretty liberal church, I guess. But I mean, the liberal church. Oh, I don't know the Unitarians. Man. <laughs> they're yeah. ah, they're 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 a little more they're a little more liberal than we are. A lot oh, okay. more liberal than we are. Yeah. <laughs> and the so, congregationalists so, too. The congregationalists are pretty out there. So, do you think a lot of people escape the sort of they they they, they escape the 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 right leaning churches mainly for political reasons to come to your church? No, I mean, there's a lot of reasons they, why they make it political and not so much about Jesus. Um, I mean, we, we I, I definitely have seen that. I, I, I won't yeah. I won't lie that I've I've seen people who. I mean, there's it, it's within within the circle of the Episcopal Church. There's conversations around the fact that there are people who who can who can articulate like the United Nations Millennium Development Goals better than they can the person of Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, th- those are stereotypes and jokes, and there's some truth to it. But but these are these are shifting tides um, in the Episcopal Church right now. I mean, we could I could do a whole episode talking about the Episcopal Church, probably get me in trouble. Yeah. But just from the political standpoint, I mean, you do have people who are sort of religiously zealous on the left. Of a, it's, it's a different tenor, but it's definitely the same kind of mindset that, right. you know, that if you're going to be the right kind of follower of Jesus, then that means you vote a certain way. And that's, that's what's always kind of bugged me. Because you know, there there was a time in my life where I was very, very right-leaning. And even then, I don't even think I thought to myself, like, this is how Jesus would vote. Like, I think I just admitted, I really have no idea how he would vote. Um, but is that something, do you think people should take into account? Or maybe it's something they should kind of brush aside a little bit? What, like, to consider how Jesus would vote? Yeah. Like, is that a question people, sh- uh, Christians should be asking themselves? How would Jesus vote? Um... I mean, <laughs> do we have a way of knowing that? I mean, Jesus wouldn't have voted. That's the thing. Like, he <laughs> was he was a citizen. He was. I mean, he was a citizen in 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 the midst of one of the most like absolute oppressive empires in the history of the human race. So very true. Um, so he wouldn't Maybe have known would... voting. And on top of that, even if we look at the fact of if we look at him as God incarnate, you know, this idea of Lord and King of 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 all creation, you know, he's not voted into power himself. So, you know, as Christians, we properly acknowledge a monarchy if anything voting That's is true. just sort of what we do in the meantime but 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 to get really to the heart of the question i think so jesus properly understood jesus reveals the kind of humanity that god intends for us right. if we want to know what it means to be human properly human then we look at jesus i mean that's part of the whole idea of why god became human to to 
to be exactly the kind of human that we're supposed to be. And so because of that, I think it is crucially important that Christians think about how their human behaviors are articulated in a democracy, like in, in an American democracy. So in a sense, yeah, you do have kind of have to sort of hypothesize how might Jesus vote and sort of go that way. You know, you want to support the things that Jesus told us to support um, right. and to and to sort of follow the ethics that Jesus lays out. I guess where my concern in this for a lot of Christians is where it becomes, it, where it turns into voting becomes a kind of act of worship and mm. voting becomes it. Like people think that, oh, well, I vote, I vote for a left-leaning candidate and left-leaning causes, and that puts me off the hook for having to care for the poor myself. Uh Um, Republican, you know, a right-leaning person will kind of do the same thing, you know, that, you know, I'm freeing people to be able to be self-actualized and for them to be, you know, motivated to, you know, get off of a nanny state kind of situation. Like I'm liberating them from control from a government by, by supporting small government policies. And so therefore um, I've done my duty. Um, right. I can just sort of leave people alone and I've, I've paid my bones. Right. And again, you see that on both sides of, of the aisle as it were in this. And I, and that's the thing that kind of concerns me the most. I mean, I mean, I can get really into some philosophy and theology with this if you, if you want, but um, about reasons and ideas and causes for all of it. But I think that, yeah. but that's the thing that, but this is the, that, that's the piece that really concerns me is the idea where we've sort of turned voting into an act of worship hmm. um, and sort of the summation of your Christian duty. Right. You know? Well, do you think it kind of comes from the idea that everything I do, I do in Christ, even like, I don't know, putting my pants on? Yeah, I mean it definitely is there. I mean and, and I and 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 I I want to be careful to say that I do think that properly understanding this stuff of of the Christian faith that every action including putting on your pants should be kind of an act of worship. Um voting can be an act of worship, but it shouldn't be the only act that you do. Right. So wh- why do you think Cornel West is voting for Jill Stein? <laughs> That's a weird question. <laughs> I don't know. He's he's written about it, right? I, you know, I, I, I've watched his interviews and stuff, and it just still kind of kind of baffles me that Brother Cornell, Dr. West, is running for Jill Stein. I don't get it. Um, I don't know. That's just a funny question I wanted to bring up. <laughs> it's plaguing me. It's plaguing me because I have, I have a lot of respect for Mr. West and – or I should say Dr. West, Professor West, and uh, it's just weird. Uh, Third-party voting. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? I know. I know that there was a time where you could, where you were identified as libertarian. It's true. I did. Uh huh. And uh, was there what what did, what what transformation did you go through where you decided nah, this is probably not the right way to go? Um, I changed from being a libertarian simply based off the idea. It, it's kind of interesting to me that so there's sort of two things that happened for me was. Um, I moved away from libertarianism because of my complete and utter disdain for people for like organizations like Walmart. Okay. And I realized that in a libertarian government system, nothing would be there to stop Walmart Hmm. because the idea is that there is no regulation. You know, there's nothing to stop monopolies and monopolies are very bad for capitalism. 
and so and for choice and freedom and all those sorts of things that are really rooted in libertarian ways of thinking. And so you kind of shoot yourself in the foot um, in that regard. So I've kind of so I've, I've changed and I'll talk a little bit more where I'm at now, I think. But the other change for me was one of the great hallmarks within libertarian thinking is that, you know, government's a necessary evil. Right. And okay. so, you know, the great call is the government that governs um, best is one that governs least or whatever. But this idea that government is this necessary evil and it exists as a sort of umpire between to, to, to ensure that someone's freedoms don't infringe on another person's freedoms. Right. And it kind of one day just kind of clicked with me to say, well, if government's a necessary evil and something that we're always going to have to deal with, it might as well work for us rather mm-hmm. than just try to do away with it. And that's sort of been the way of thinking that I've had for a while. I, I mean, I've kind of. Now, I will say I do vacillate, and this is very weird for people who are political scientists and stuff that don't know what I'm talking about, but I vacillated somewhat between um, kind of anarchy okay, and communitarianism. <laughs> I don't um, know. Okay. Um, uh, can, can you give us a, a, a short version of what that, what that means? Particularly the Christian anarchy tradition, um, I'm very intrigued by people like Tolstoy and others. Um, this idea that... Uh, as a Christian society, like as Christians, you know, we're governed by, we're governed by grace and we're governed by what's revealed by, by, by Jesus. We're, you know, revealed, revealed of God through Jesus Christ. And so that's this thing that should be dictating who we are. And ultimately this has social ramifications. And so we as Christians should be really super faithful to that. And that there's a distrust that secular government systems have sort of play, have sort of placated or even superseded our idea, our, our ability to do that because, you know, it sort of forces us into this box. We have to participate in this system. Right. And so there's been a part of me that has kind of wanted to get rid of all of it altogether. No outside government, no idea of secular government. And so that, so that Christians can truly blossom to be Christians and show a proper good alternative society to the world. And that yeah. the reason that Christians haven't blossomed into that is because of, of secular outside government interference. Um, mm-hmm. And these are ideas that come from um, thinkers like John Milbank and um, Philip Blonde and others. Um, so, but that's, and that, the communitarian piece to it is more around the idea that communities make the decisions. Anarchy, I think, as producers, we, we largely understand it in our society is highly individualistic. You know, it's no one tells me as an individual what to do. Yeah. Whereas communitarian thinking is rooted more around the, the idea of communities and gatherings yeah. and that sort of thing. I uh, I myself dabbled in uh, anarchism when I was uh, when I was uh, I was about sixteen years old. All right. Yeah, I had uh, had the necklace. <laughs> uh, I definitely made some drawings and notebooks. Uh, the, the the A in the circle, a lot of that. Yeah, I I I, I might have read a certain cookbook, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I get you, man. I get you on, on the whole anarchy thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, I think it's definitely one of those things that when, you know, it's easy to really be into when you're 16 years old. Because <laughs> yeah. the idea sounds awesome, you know. But now I'm married with kids and, like, that idea, it's like, no, you know. It's like, <laughs> I really like I really like my roads to work, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Um, indoor, That's nice. yeah. you know, indoor plumbing is pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. You don't really get that in, in an anarchist society. Right. Especially when anarchy usually refers to like, it's more like the, tra- the, 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 the transfer of power, right? Like the transition of power. 
sort of that space between. Right, right. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different strains within anarchy. I mean, there are the people who sort of I, uh, this idea that anarchy means absolutely no government ever. Right. But in order for that to happen, you have to have some sort of governing principle in order to keep government from coming. You know what I mean? So it, 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 we, we, there's no way to have that. I mean, you, you, there has to be some form of governing system in the world. Right. Um, so, you know, I guess the, I guess some anarchists would argue that this sort of let everybody sort of figure out their own system. And the one that works is the one that everyone will gravitate to, you know, there's sort mm-hmm. of, you know, nature, nature abhors a vacuum. So create a vacuum so that we can figure out what the right thing is. Um, and interestingly, I mean, in Europe, there is a lot of interest around this kind of idea in some quarters because, um, there are some who would, who say that, you know, we should look back to the days of feudalism, that that made a lot of sense. Really? Yeah. Because people were governed in small communities and I mean, the average person only worked like four hours a day, mm-hmm. you know, like people were actually like, well, like we talk about the dark ages in like a very negative sense, but people were generally pretty happy from what we're finding in scholarship. So there's some people who argue that maybe feudalism is the way to go. Isn't um, that still the work schedule for most European countries? <laughs> That's funny. That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that might be a little mm. bit nationalist. I don't know. I don't know. I don't... <laughs> hey, we're winning the Trump supporters back. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. We got some uh, top-notch pundits going on right now. I know. <laughs> Masters of Divinity first. <laughs> this is a very heady episode, JP. It is a we're, little bit. I mean, get a lot of political philosophy. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm only like maybe five percent lost. So it's. That's good. Good. <laughs> yeah. See, this is the, this is the kind of episode where I probably should have prepared. <laughs> um, I mean, I've got I've got my library of books behind me, as you can see. Yeah, um, like the only one I'm interested in is, is Watchmen. You got Watchmen back over, there, right? Uh, yeah, it's over there. Yeah, got some graphic um, novels and uh, and then lots of books of theology. I got some Japanese theology I can bust out. <laughs> can I can I share my opinion? I, I've been thinking a lot lately about um, like people who just who who don't want to vote and undecided voters oh undecided voters um i feel like at this point and you know tell me if i'm being pig-headed or if i'm being a, a jerk i feel like at this point if if you if you're an undecided or you're, you're just refusing to vote um either you just haven't done your homework or the problem is you like maybe you're having an identity crisis yeah. We're at the 11th hour. You well, know, and, and I kind of feel like everything's been laid out. Yeah, I it's in America it's an interesting thing because it it clearly shows someone to me that doesn't fully understand the profound uh, I don't want to say beauty, but isn't the right word, you know, but sort of like the just really the really profound radical idea that is America. Right. Which is a country built on is a, is a policy and concept developed on or based on compromise. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people who are at this point, especially in this election, which is so clear cut to me. <laughs> yeah, um, I, know. Is, I think it's, I think it's crazy that we have two third party voters. Like that's. Yeah. I mean, in, I think in the long run, this could be a good thing. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think the stakes are really high on this election and I think that people should probably vote in the of the main two parties in this regard and then maybe like focus on some down ticket independents or third parties but like yeah i ultimately in the long run i think it's going to be good for america for us to have 
more than two parties. Oh, I definitely think I, I mean, I think there should be a party for like, you know, fiscally conservative, socially a liberal like they'd be great. If there was a party for them. Right. Um, and so on and so forth. I think it'd be great. If there are more parties, but that this is what we have and this is what we have to work with. And maybe maybe sometime between now and the next election election, you can work on that. Not like when you have to vote for somebody. Yeah. And like and to me, it just speaks to this kind of. I mean, we're going to I'm going to I'm going to mention this. I'm, I'm going to get into a stereotype here. And I'm sorry to our listeners who this bothers them. But it, it's so millennial. Oh, no. And that's that's who's getting the most flack out of the whole undecided voters and not voting crowd. It's the millennials that are that are getting the flack because it, it seems so, so like a millennial thing to be like at least younger millennials. You mean, you mean I have to I have to make a decision on something that I don't like 100 percent? Yeah. You know, like like it's the frigging Kobayashi Maru or something, <laughs> you know, um, Well, even in the Kobayashi Maru, you got to make a decision. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's yeah. like they're, they're, everyone thinks that they're James Kirk and they're like, I don't like no win scenarios, <laughs> um, which is funny because like and this is what I tell people. In fact, I think it'd be good if we kind of thought about what we want, what would we would want to tell an undecided voter. I would say, like, look, you don't like either party. Probably because you've bought into both of their propaganda, but it's what's called a tough decision. And when you're an adult, you have to make tough decisions. Yep. And the other people who have to make tough decisions are the politicians and presidents. They will have to make tougher decisions than you'll ever have to make. Right. And so it seems a little, a little obnoxious to opt out. And then expect them to make tough decisions. You know what I mean? Totally. And I think I, I, this probably gets this gets a little bit to where I was, what, what kind of what I was saying earlier, in the sense that we live in a society that we want to make. It's like we want to make one decision and just let it, and that's it. And it's like we don't worry about this for four years. Right. That you know we can just make this decision and just it, it's done. It's and that's it. You know. So that's that that leads us to want to have a candidate who has everything perfect that we want it to be. The fact is, is that no matter who we elect into that office is going to be our president, and that person has to be accountable to us, the people. That's the way our government is set up. Right. And so really, it means that properly, we have civic responsibilities and expectations on a pretty daily basis. Mm-hmm. We can't just – this isn't just a, a switch we flip every four years and then go back to – go back to playing video games and watching Netflix. <laughs> it used to be that way. Apparently that's, I mean, my, that's my parents tell me that's how it used to be. It's like, you got really political this one time a year you voted and you just moved on through your life. Right. I, I think that's kind of how we've been for a very long time. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, a lot of comparisons are being made to this time until like 1968 when mm-hmm. people were being, were suddenly when college students in particular were suddenly very politically motivated. I mean, obviously because they didn't want to go to Nam and die. Right. And, the, you know, for the, for the most part, you know, we had kind of created a, a, you know, there was a whole generation that sort of had created a government, you know, really under, under a, a pretty good president, um, Dwight Eisenhower, who kind of created a machine that sort of perpetuated itself and we didn't have to participate in it. You know, there was no expectation that we had to hold one another accountable and all that kind of and kind of that kind of stuff. But the the American political system is kind of based on this idea that we ought to be holding one another accountable, that we ought to be involved in some form of election system every couple of years because, you know, there's senators, there's Congress people. I mean, there's all of that that comes up every now and then. We can't, again, just we can't just pretend that 
you know, we make this vote for this one person every couple, right, every four right. years, and it, it's just done for us. We just can't yeah. do that anymore. And there are people who just they don't want to face that because there's a million other things that we either want to be doing or expected to be doing. Right. And there's also sort of the, the jadedness coming from the actual like electoral process. Right. <laughs> I, I get that. I, I really, I, I can't, if you ask me right now to explain to you how the electoral college works, I, I can't do it. I still don't really get it. Yeah. The, the fact that you can win the popular <laughs> vote and not be president. Yeah. I, yeah. I still don't get it. And, and the system, you know, I'll agree with the jaded people. It's not perfect, but the fact that you can vote and that the fact that it really has gotten better. If you just opt in to vote, it will get better. I think that's the kind of the whole point, you know, like it, it can, it's sort of like a, a self healing machine. If you just help it out. Right. I think right. voting today is better than it was like 50 years ago, obviously. Yeah. And like, I mean, like I, I read something, um, during the, um, during the primary, um, in, in Florida, in orange County, I, I may have the numbers wrong on this, but in Orange County, it was estimated that only 18% of eligible voters turned out to vote. Wow. So how can you say then that the candidate that is now, that the candidate who is who won that primary is representative of a certain percentage of the American population? Right. I mean, like, you know, like all of our polls and stuff are based off of the likely numbers of people turning out. So, like, even if only 30% of the American population shows up on November 8th or whatever to vote, that's not, I mean, it's just, you know, statisticians and stuff will say that's a pretty good indicator of all this other stuff, whatever. But you, you, that's not really 50% of the American population saying, you know, or 51, right. 52% saying, oh, this is who we wanted. That's not a majority. Mm-hmm. It's only a percentage of 30%. You right. know? So, like, it is just crazy to me that we just sort of live with that. And like you said, it's just, it, there's an apathy and it's just sort of general apathy in America where we just don't buy into it. And I know that I've been guilty of it. No, me too. Totally. Totally. And, yeah, I mean, the whole reason why I didn't vote for the, uh, the Florida elections, uh, like that two years ago, I mean, I didn't do it at all. And, and like, I was, I was like, proud of myself. I was like, no, I'm not gonna be involved because you know, Florida votes don't count anyway, blah, blah, blah. Cause that, you know, I don't, I don't know if you remember 2012 Florida votes, it didn't count. <laughs> Oh, Florida politics. Um, <laughs> but that was a horrible slide on my part because, you know, uh, everyone that I did not want to win won. So, you know, well, l- l- let me who am I going to blame? Well, let me ask you, JP. So you asked me about changes. Let me ask you, what changed for you since you were saying you were jaded on the process and all that? What kind of what got you into it? Well, I mean, it's like I said, I, I learned that the system needs me. The system needs all of us. You know, I was jaded toward the system. But the only way to make the system better is is to participate in it, not right. by like running away from it. That doesn't solve anything. Yeah, like non-participation does not solve anything except like make things worse. And I wasn't about to be involved in making things worse. I want to make things better, and that's what I believe active particip- participation does. Um, and, and you know, and, and like I said, I, I recently I, I had that confirmed because I recently I don't know if you ever watched this show called um, Adam Ruins Everything. No. It's it's actually really funny. Um, it's it's kind of like um, it's just this comedian who kind of just debunks everything that we just kind of see from day to day life. And each episode is like a different aspect of like American life. And one episode, he, it was Adam Ruins voting. And so much of the episode is is talking about like why um, 
um, why the system isn't perfect, like what's wrong with voting and how people don't really know what the Electoral College is, blah, blah, a whole bunch of other things. But he ends the episode with, but if you wanted to get better, you have to vote. Like th- that doesn't mean stop voting. You got to be involved. Yeah. And not only that, like I found myself, this is like kind of the only way I can be involved. <laughs> like I'm not just going to be the guy that complains in the corner. You know? Right. Well, I, and it's it's interesting to me too. Just as you're talking about, I was thinking about this. It's like the the number one criticism and go to statement about this is, well, ultimately my vote doesn't count. Right. Right. And there's some truth to that in a in, in within a mathematics you know statistical sense. But here's the thing: if you are a voting person and you actually care about this, mm-hmm. you're going to be informed. You're going to be engaged. You're going to learn a bunch of stuff. And when you learn a bunch of stuff, you like to talk about the things you learn. And then you suddenly, as you talk about the stuff you learn, you have a sphere of influence. And your vote individually, mathematically, if if it's just you as an individual, your vote might not mean much. But who knows how you might have affected and influenced other people around you just because you were involved in the process. So your vote could have turned into five votes. 10 votes just because you because you were engaged in the process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so that's important stuff to think about. Right. And you know what? You say now my, my vote doesn't count. There was a time when a woman's vote didn't count at all because she didn't get to. Right. So, you know, flip a freaking coin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the undecided voter thing, I mean, in some elections, I get it in this one. Like you have two candidates that couldn't be more opposite. Literally, oh, I know. I, I mean that in. I guess they could be a little more opposite because they're both white. But like, <laughs> one's a man, one's a woman. I mean, like just right there, mm-hmm. those are factors that are going to be very. The, there's factors that are going to be different. Like, like just. I guess not since the 2008 election, right? Because those. I mean, I think Obama and McCain was still was pretty, you know, end of the spectrum. But but now it's like. It's pretty end of the spectrum now, too. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, this at is, least socially, not not so much politically. Maybe just socially, it is right, right, right. Like, it's it's and it's funny to me that like people people complain about this election about how it's not about issues. You know, it's all about all this stuff surrounding it. And that I just read a thing the other day that um, all the major cable news networks throughout the entire the entire election, like since since the since the Democratic National Convention or whatever, have only dedicated a total of 18 minutes of their broadcast time to issues. Wow. Really? That's it. 18 minutes. That's including like major networks and stuff? Like each, each network individually has only, contributed, has only contributed about 18 minutes of their entire broadcast that, time to issues. That, issues. that is crazy. Yeah. Um, and, that, and you know what? And we, we, I guess with that information – in mind, we can't blame the millennials too much for being jaded, right? Right. Especially the younger ones. Like for the ones, this is like their first election. Yeah, they've grown up. They have. They didn't really experience a Bush presidency as an adult. Right. And they've grown up in a world where the media is just all rhetoric and talking points. Right. Satisfy the advertisers. And a time when, like, really, both sides are just using propaganda on each other. Right. 
And so, and, and you know, I, I know millennials who, who just like when I ask them who they're voting for, they have I don't I don't know, and I'm like, why don't you know? Well, this side says blah blah blah, and this side says blah blah blah. I'm like, that's propaganda from both sides. Like you've bought into both of their propaganda machines. Like, of course you don't know who to vote for. <laughs> right, right. But then you go to the 2012 election, mm-hmm. which was like entirely about issues. Right. And everyone talked about how boring it was. <laughs> you know, like. You know, you know, um, everyone talks about um, um, Mitt Romney being the super boring candidate. And, you know, then you can even go back to like the 2004 election where we talk about boring John Kerry was. So maybe it's like every like, you know, second election for a first for a sitting president is like it's more of an issues election. And people find that boring and nobody's engaged because they, you know, they, they want spectacle, you know, they want to, they want to pit it into good guys versus bad guys. And that's just sort of the way we work in America. We bifurcate everything, you know, but it's, but issues are important. You know, I, the thing that I really long for is I would love for an actual presidential debate to be about debating ideas. Yeah. I didn't like these, this year's debates at all. Like they were just sniping at each other. Yeah. That was it. I mean, I, (laughs) I have opinions on who won all of them, but I won't get into that, but it's still I mean, there. Are, there are several objective polls that would agree with you, John Post. <laughs> I know. Well, I was told I was wrong recently, so whatever. Well, it's... Uh, I don't get that at all. Uh, the the guy doesn't know how to talk. No, he doesn't. He doesn't know how to talk. <laughs> doesn't. You can direct all your negative comments to me on that. I will take it. Yes, I do not think Donald Trump knows how to talk. I, I I'm barely sure he knows how to read. Um, can I, can I, can I, since we're going here, can I, can I say something? <laughs> so my family and I just went to Disney, um, this yeah. past weekend again. And we, we, we you went guys to go to Disney so much. I, I, and I mean, you guys, you, you and Matt. Yeah. I went to, uh, so we went to the hall of presidents. I haven't been in forever. Yeah. And I sat there and I tried to imagine an animatronic Donald Trump up there talking <laughs> and i gotta tell you man it was it was rough it was rough thinking uh, because come on even our right wingers have to agree that'd be kind of funny right seeing donald trump in the hall of presidents at disney world <laughs> it's it, the, because they put so much there's like i mean already i could you know i could already hear people i didn't actually hear it but like you know hypothetically hear people criticizing the fact that obama's up there but like the this it, so so the, the the it's a 22 minute program narrated by Morgan Freeman that goes through the entire history of the American presidential system. I mean, they managed to make Andrew Jackson look like an awesome dude. I mean, seriously, like they talk about how Andrew Jackson was the first U.S. president who was not an aristocrat. He was actually the first like everyday citizen who was able to become president. And they, they talk about how important that was. He was the seventh president and how important that was that he Uh was, that he was one of us and how like, you know, like over a hundred thousand people showed up at the white house just to shake his hand because he was one of them and became president. Like they managed to make this guy, this guy who was racist guy, you know, racist, hated Indians. I mean, just like awful straight up killed people, right? Straight up killed people. And duels and stuff. Yeah. They made, uh, you know, would spit tobacco on the floor of the White House. Um, they made this guy look good. And like, but it's this whole like thing about the dignity of the presidency and what that means for America and how like presidents have carried America through these difficult times. And it highlights a few great orators and um, throughout throughout history. Uh, and the thought that like, I'm an, I would go in here, Donald Trump get up there and just be like, 
I was huge. When I was president, it was huge. We don't all the boo-boo. And just, I, I have a bad, I have a bad Trump impersonation. <laughs> but like, it was just sort of like, ah, oh, like, I just couldn't, I just couldn't imagine it. I just couldn't imagine it. But like you said, man, also, man, robot Donald Trump is pretty funny. Maybe it's time we retire the Hollow Presidents. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually, I, I was kind of wondering, there's like, you know, there's 43 presidents up there and like yeah. only five of them are actually like talking. So oh, I was yeah. like wondering how funny it would be if like Trump won and they just never let him talk. He's just <laughs> up there. And then it's like Obama still talks. <laughs> <laughs> Obama just shows up. Hey there. I wasn't um, talking. Start singing Purple Rain. <laughs> Do you see that video? No. No? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, they, they had the Halloween Halloween at the White House, trick-or-treating at the White House. I've seen the picture of a... him being like a headless person, which is pretty funny. <laughs> it's Photoshopped, unfortunately. But... Oh, that's Photoshopped? Yeah. Aww. And that made me laugh so hard, too. But he's, he's at the White House. Uh, it's like a – I guess it's like a trick-or-treating at the White House. There's like a whole line yeah. of kids lining up to get candy from uh, President Obama. Awesome. And a kid shows up dressed up as Prince. And Obama starts singing um, Purple Rain. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to miss him, Chuck. I'm going to miss him. You know, I, no matter who wins, I'm going to miss him. Yeah. That's the thing is, is I, I know that there are a lot of people, there, there are probably some people listen to this program. And if you're still listening to this program, <laughs> um, that they hate listening at this point, that hate, that hate Barack Obama. I know. Um, you have to, I don't know. If you can put that aside for a little bit, admit the man's cool. <laughs> I yes, mean, he is. He's, he's likable, and he's he's just a cool dude. He's cool. Admit it. I mean, admit it. You might not like his policies. You may hate Obamacare. You may may think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to our country. Put all of that aside and acknowledge the fact the man is cool. Yeah, you can be cool and have bad ideas or dis or ideas you disagree with. I mean, there's plenty of people out there who, um, of course, now I say it, I can't think of any names, but like there are plenty of people out there who have. Who have you know bad? Oh, Paul Ryan, Paul yeah. Ryan. I disagree with like almost everything that guy stands for, but he seems like a pretty cool dude. Like I would hang out with Paul Ryan. I, I don't know if it's because I don't know if you read those uh, those tweets um, from Owen Ellickson. Uh, yes, I do. Oh my gosh, I, that that <laughs> I think the, that Twitter account has made me love Paul Ryan. You know. <laughs> I'm actually disappointed because he's he kind of he's kind of like he's like the Luke Skywalker of the Republican Party, right? <laughs> he totally a little is. bit, a little bit. <laughs> he totally is. I, I the thing is, I will say disappointed me a little bit about Paul Ryan is he shaved that beard. Oh no, he shaved that okay. beard. I love that beard. We need politicians with beards, people. Again, I was just at the Hall of Presidents, and most of our presidents have had beards. Politicians need beards. We need to bring that back. Uh, how was your Halloween, by the way? Pretty good. Yeah? Did you dress up? I did. I dressed up as um, a, as, as a nerd. Um, as a nerd? As a stereotypical nerd. Gl- taped up glasses, the whole that, short sleeve dress shirt that sounds, tie. That sounds like discrimination. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> so here's what happened. There, there's a whole long story about some possibility that Kane and I were not going to be in town for this Halloween party. And then we ended up being in town for it. So it was very last minute. We had costumes for the kids. The kids were dressed up great. Um, um, Charlie Wynn is, is a Marlin from Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. And um, we even got him a little scuba mask that had P. Sherman Wallaby way on the back of it for him to wear <laughs> around his neck. Um, Ford, the, the 10-month-old, he went, as, um, he went as a scuba diver. 
Um, nice. And uh, in Canada, it was a very great little costume that she made for him. But so we were going to this thing with like parents and uh, from her parent from 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 Canada's parents group. So she's got like this closet, or this not closet, got this box with like costume stuff. So she's got like a costume kind of ready to go at any point, like if she needs to like put together a last minute costume. So she has all the makings for a Wonder Woman costume. So she's like, I'm going to go as Wonder Woman. Like, well, crap, what am I going to go as? I don't have anything that I can just throw together. So then I thought, oh, this would be funny. I'll wear a trench coat. I'll wear a trench coat with like a t-shirt and shorts underneath it. And then I'm going to go as the flash. So she's Wonder Woman. I'm the flash. We both thought it'd be pretty funny. Um, But then I put on the trench coat that I own and it's like, it's kind of like a waist length trench coat, like a little bit longer than waist length. And I was like, the the shorts that I have would be way too short. This would be super inappropriate to wear at like a kid's Halloween party. So I, uh, so I, I couldn't do that. So then I decided, well, she's going as, she's going as a, as a superhero. So I'm going to go as sort of like a nerd who fantasizes about her. That's kind of the idea. So like I even changed the background oh, okay. on my phone to, um, I changed the background on my phone to the Linda Carter, um, Wonder Woman so that it could be like, Ooh, look. I'm... Good choice. Yeah. So that's, that, that was what I did. It's kind of a last minute costume. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like fun, man. Listen, did, did you, did you dress up? I did not. I, I, I kept it low key this year. Uh, I stayed in. I had some some chicken tenders for dinner. Very nice. Uh, I, I, had, I had a little lineup planned. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, MTV2. I don't know if you're aware of this, Chuck, but MTV2 did a marathon of uh, Beavis and Butthead. Um, but it wasn't a marathon of, like, uh, the series. It was just one episode. Just, and it was like a it was oh, a it was a Halloween episode. <laughs> it was over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It was the, the it was the Halloween Cornholio episode where he gets into candy and um, <laughs> I still laugh. I still laugh. I still think it's funny. I still think Cornholio is hilarious. How how many times did you watch the episode, JV? Like four times. That's hilarious. But to, in my defense, you know, I don't re- I don't think we all realize how short those episodes were. Yeah, they there were, were times like... where. Yeah, there were times where I just kind of looked down at my phone. I saw, I'm like, wait, I'm watching this again. Wow, okay. Uh, so, I, but that's that's not all I did. That's all. Yeah, I, on Halloween, I just watched the same episode of Beavis and Butt over and again for like six hours. Now, <laughs> um, what I did was I, I watched that, and then I watched the uh, the Scream uh, Halloween special. For those of you who are regular listeners know that I am a fan of the Scream TV series. Both Matt and I, uh, they had a Halloween special, which was, which was really good. Um. Then I watched uh, a friend of mine sent me a Blu-ray as a gift to show up on Halloween Day. It was um, The Fog, Very John nice. Carpenter. Really, really good movie and uh, really cool commentary. That's, <laughs> that's the kind of nerd I am. I listen to the commentary on nice. Halloween. Nice. Low-key. Um, not uh, – you know, I, I, I have this this habit, this reputation where – it's like my favorite holiday out of the year, but I never do anything. <laughs> and I, I need to break this tradition. I want to do something. And the last time I dressed up was when I went as George Lucas a few years ago. Which is a great costume. He went with me to Chipotle to buy cheap Chipotle. And yeah. he carried around um, my damaged VHS copy of Return of the Jedi. And he carried an axe with him. And he kept telling people, um, this was not my original vision. <laughs> or not, this wasn't true to my to my vision. Yeah, it was non-special edition. What's funny is I, I wore like a fake beard, right? And the fake beard kind of like altered my voice a little. <laughs> you really? And did. if I, I like, and I kind of like compensated with the alteration 
of the voice, and I could do like a really good George Lucas impression with it. You really, you really did. And so I, I, I it, it, it amused me so much that I like started conversations with people as George Lucas, asking him if they like Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> and if they're upset that Jar Jar Binks is not in the new movies. <laughs> um. So yeah, that was fun. I want to do that again. That I want to dress fun. up as him again. You should. <laughs> you should do that. I mean, I, I dressed up as Bob Ross that year, so. <laughs> you did. That was that was that. What a great pairing, Bob Ross and George Lucas, two oh, great creators. Yeah, that was the year I dressed as Bob Ross. That is right. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was also I think the year that that uh, you announced to me that you were having a child. Yes, that, that night be, I think that would be yeah. it. Yeah, right. Charlie. Good times. Yes, good times. Good times. And like like Daniel Day Lewis playing Abraham Lincoln, I got lost in the character of George Lucas that night. <laughs> Bravo, sir. Bravo. So if you can imagine George Lucas asking for extra guacamole at Chipotle. You, you, you pronounced it guacamole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess you had to be there, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I was there. I was yeah. there. And it was pretty funny. It was, it, it was really funny watching the Chipotle employees who by this point had seen probably – you know, like 150 or more, probably a couple hundred people in costume come through of all sorts. And they're pretty done with this whole thing. And then now here comes George Lucas just <laughs> saying obnoxious things to them when they just want to know what kind of beans he wanted. <laughs> and he's just like asking about Jar Jar Binks. It was pretty good. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Good times. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. Join us next week. Uh, Matt should be back, and uh, we'll move on to our next thing. All right. So thank you. Yep. Good journey. Good journey. Some